I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Well, we have been working our way up the mountain of the Ten Commandments, and today we reach the summit. But, but it's a strange summit, right? There, there is weirdly something petty about the Tenth Commandment. One of the world's greatest moral works, which opens with the declaration of, I am the Lord your God, and continues with nine earth-shaking pronouncements, presenting God's, God's whole vision for human society, and it now wraps up. And it comes to a close in this super strange and petty way. The 10th commandment reads, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his servant, nor his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. God's moral vision for human society really just comes down to to a close with a trifle about our stuff his ox and his ass, do we really need a list of, of mundane longings for other people's belongings? It seems so trivial. And, and yet it is anything but. The Tenth Commandment stands for a whole new principle, reflecting back on the previous nine, but adding this dimension, touching on a, a uniquely human evil so widespread so alluring, a sin, a sin of the spirit that is so egregious as to warrant closing the Ten Commandments on this particular note, so deeply hidden as to make us wait until the very end for it. The ban on coveting is a rejection of a single personality flaw that is so destructive as to be the source of so many other sins. The sin behind the sin, the inner evil without which all the other sins would be committed far less often. And in understanding this sin, we we find the key to, to turning the Ten Commandments from this abstract vision into something 
something concrete, something pragmatic, something real life that we can, we can undertake immediately changing who we are into something better. And that sin, that sin is the sin of insecurity. And I bet you're thinking that's, that's a sin? Really? We don't usually speak of insecurity in moral terms, right? The word is more clinical. It's, it's associated with like psychological counseling and problems that, that we need fixed as, as this like malfunction of our minds. But insecurity doesn't reflect wrongfulness of any kind, right? It's, it's more like bad cholesterol than, than it is bad character, right? Not according to the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment imbues the problem of insecurity with all the weight of God's moral regard. The Tenth Commandment pivots us and directs our attention now to the source of our greed the source of our want, to the distorting fears that lead us to strike out against others, to the, to the failure to, to affirm ourselves and act with courage. To covet is to have lost our inner peace, our, our baseline satisfaction about who we are and what we have. Who among us is rich, the rabbis would ask. The one who, who is happy with his lot and content with himself. Covetousness is, is the deflation and failure of the self. Instead of feeling happy with our lot and content with ourselves, we grab for more and for more and for more and hope that this will restore our status in our own eyes. Instead of judging things as, as they are, we twist the world to respond to our fears and, and, and the perceived intentions of others, con convincing ourselves that we have a right to things that are not ours. And instead of redeeming, we, we do evil. Instead of loving, we, we hate. Throughout the biblical story, insecurity is always found lurking behind the greatest of human failings. Think about it. Think about the story that leads to the commandments themselves. As the Israelites wander through the desert, Moses is constantly baffled by the complaints and hesitation of God's people. Having been, been shown every conceivable way of blessing and reliability of God, who, who was willing to break even the laws of nature to take them out of slavery and to lead them to freedom, to destroy their enemies and to provide for them in the wilderness, who has given them every reason to feel that the universe itself is on their side and that nothing can stand in the way of that. The, the Israelites still repeatedly call into question not only their own worth and, and prospects for survival, but also the leadership of Moses and the wisdom of God. Something went terribly wrong with the Exodus. When, when I read the Exodus story, I am struck by, by two things. One, that, that the Israelites are constantly incapable consistently incapable of, of overcoming their deepest insecurities, constantly coming up with the most absurd 
absurd claims about Moses and about God and twisting the reality in, in a way that, that only fear can explain and never learning from their experiences. And, and, and two, the other thing that we, we learn is that when they, when they have these outbursts of insecurity, they are taken by God and Moses, not as some psychological crisis, but as a moral failing that raises questions about whether they really deserve to be redeemed in the first place. And Moses just keeps losing patience with them, with the, with the Red Sea at their back and, and Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them. The Israelites lodged their first complaint. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness, God? It, is not this the time we warned you of God? Leave us alone, God. <laughs> Leave us alone that we may just serve Egypt, for it has been better for us to serve Egypt than it should be to die in the wilderness. The miracle of, of the Red Sea only, only calms their anxieties <laughs> for, for about three days. And then again they complain. Again they complain. <laughs> When they find a spring where, where, where the water is bitter, God miraculously sweetens it to show them again that inner confidence and faith in the God who promises to redeem them and give them everything they need for the journey. And, and this keeps them happy for about a month and a half until they start up again. Responding to the struggle to find food this time. Would that we have died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by fresh pots and ate our fill of bread, but you, you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us through hunger, God. And Moses, a patient, takes offense at this rant. But, but God, God just gives them manna from heaven and quail to eat. And these stories are usually read through the prism of faith, right? Only through unbending dedication to God may we make it through the difficulties of life, the difficult trials that God gives us. But the 10th commandment reminds us that there is something else going on here. The Israelites' problem is not so much that they lack faith in God, for they, they affirm their faith in God even as they just grumble, grumble their way through it against Moses. No, the Israelites' problem is is their lack of faith in themselves. The, the, the key miracles of the Exodus story require the direct participation of humans in bringing about God's redemption in the world. Our direct participation from, from the need to wipe the blood across the doorpost to, to Moses putting out his staff to split the sea to, to having to gather the manna themselves to feed the people. We are constantly reminded of our role our role in redemption and their lack of remembering that their, their memory in Egypt is like slavery is this golden age, just how skewed their judgment has become because of it, how skewed our judgment can become when the sin of insecurity sets in and God wants nothing to do with it. What eventually becomes clear to God is that this generation of Israelites is a lost cause. 
as long as they live, God seems to realize they will, they're going to just be grasshoppers in their own eyes, harboring nothing but anxiety in the base of their hearts. No matter how many miracles have saved them, no matter how many miracles they witness, eventually with, with minimal motivation to fight among the Israelites, they fail to conquer just the puny populations of Canaan. In, in, their, in their own hearts, they are still just slaves, preferring the comfort of, of the harsh yet familiar desert to the unknowns of battle and freedom. And having been redeemed and having been set free, they become enslaved all over again. And this makes absolutely no sense at all if we read this story and its result through just the lens of inadequate faith. Instead, God was, was telling the Israelites that, that through their fear, they have reduced themselves to just cowering animals at precisely the time when God needed redemptive boldness from them. If they could not be redeemers, what was the point of delivering them at all? What was the point? And the Bible, through, through the Tenth Commandment and, through, and through, through the stories of the Israelites, Captivity and, and their, their freedom and then their captivity again is telling us that the Israelites' fear was not just unfortunate. It was profoundly wrong. There is no greater depravity we learn than the self-dehumanization that comes with succumbing to our demons when, when courage is called for and security is sin. That the sin... Of, of, of the deflated spirit, not a lack of faith in God, is the, is the, is the message of this story. And, and their punishment, you remember what their punishment is? Their punishment is, is wandering. The Israelites now spend the rest of their days in the desert, taking 40 years to complete a trip that today can be done by car in just a, a few hours. And this kind of spiritual self-destruction we find. We find a plague that is both so dire and so common that among character flaws, it is a class all of its own. Unlike what we have most often been taught, sin flows not so much from temptation or ignorance, but from a weakness of spirit, friends that precedes both of those. Not all of us have committed idolatry or, or adultery or, or murder, but, but when we read the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, we have all been there, all of us. Our desire takes over our thoughts and, and we may convince ourselves that a person's love is all that separates us from happiness or, or a car is all that separates us from happiness or, or a house is all that separates us from our most acute needs. And to, to, to covet is to focus all our desire on something we don't have. And why do we do this? Why? You don't have to be a, a psychologist to recognize that coveting is is the product of insecurity. We lack, a, we lack a self-sufficient soul, a sense of peace that would spare us such distortions, and instead we look to easy answers, convincing ourselves that, that release can be found in the external world in, in radical and often wrongful forms of self-assertion. Insecurity, the child who cries for attention by breaking every rule, 
and ignoring every command. Insecurity, the super gifted student who refuses to study because she, she doesn't believe she can live up to her parents' expectations. Insecurity, the, the unwillingness to believe in, in your own talents and, and the failure to develop them, choosing instead safe professions where your mediocrity is guaranteed. Insecurity, the, that braggart who always, unsure of his inner worth, prattles on endlessly about his wealth and his, his sexual encounters and his great plans. Insecurity. Insecurity, the fear of others that makes us believe we have no right to voice our concerns, to fight for, for what is right, to, to assert ourselves and the world. Never stop feeling like, like a child among adults, like a slave among masters. That's what insecurity does. Insecurity, that, that mental avoidance of hard questions that leads us again and again into tragic situations of neglect, neglect of our finances, neglect of our children, neglect of our relationships, neglect of our careers, neglect of our souls. Insecurity. Insecurity is at the heart of why we don't go to church. <laughs> Insecurity, the neglect of our parents' needs as they age because we can't bear to see them as, as needful people. Insecurity, the, the channeling of our fears into nastiness and hatred of the other and, and acting out against the world and taking things that are not ours. Insecurity, it all undermines our creativity for we cannot think creatively. We cannot dream boldly when we're afraid. And it undermines our judgment for it skews our reason and undercuts our desire to gain wisdom from God. The 10th the commandment wraps it all up in one nice brazen bow. Insecurity is the antithesis to redemption. And the entire possibility, the entire possibility of a redemptive society rests on us first overcoming our insecurities, feeling deep and abiding confidence in ourselves and incorporating those habits of God, creativity and judgment in our very lives. For every one of our failures, no matter how trivial, it is worth asking how things might have been different had we acted out of inner peace instead of insecurity. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is peace at the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table.